Well, today we're starting a new series called Show Me It's Real. Often today, Christians are more known for the political stances they defend, the beliefs that they hold, rather than the character they possess or the deeds that they uh, uh, do and are, are seen for. This series looks at what true faith looks like, uh, how we can demonstrate the reality of a uh, saving faith and relationship with Jesus Christ. And today we're starting where uh, Antonia had us start. Uh, we're starting with the trials, how God refines us through the fire. Uh, psychologist Jonathan Hayes did a thought experiment, and I thought it would be helpful for us to start there. Uh, he had a, a group of parents, and they were given the life story of a, uh, of a woman named Jillian. Uh, they were told that at a young age, Jillian had developed a learning disability, which would delay her ability to read and would impact her grades and future career. In high school, uh, they were told she would become best friends with a girl who would die from cancer. She would then go on to get hit by a drunk driver. A boy would die in that accident, and although it wasn't her fault, it brought on depression in her life. She would go on to college and to get a job, but eventually lose her job in an economic downturn. That would force a move from a house into, a, into an apartment and bring on a, a cycle of financial struggles. Having heard the story of Jillian, the participants were then asked, this is, pretend now that this is your unborn daughter and you have been given this uh, vision and picture of what is to come. You have five minutes to edit out anything that you think would, she would be best served without. And they were, they were told to, to give thought to all of those circumstances and what they would edit out. What would you edit out? If it was you that was making those decisions, how would you uh, tailor that person's uh, life and your daughter's future uh, steps? Well, as you might guess, most people chose to edit out the hardships. But hate wonders whether that might be what's actually part of our um, problem and causing so many difficulties today. Uh, he wonders aloud this. He said, if you could erase every failure, every disappointment, the period of suffering, would that be a good idea? Would that cause them to grow into the best version of themselves? Is it possible that we actually need adversity and setbacks, maybe even crises and trauma, to reach the fullest potential of development and growth? We just heard Antonia's story, and she said, very frankly, I'm not sure if I would be here if I didn't have this condition, and whether if, if that hadn't uh, been a part of my life, whether I would be standing before you today getting baptized. And yet, who wouldn't want to edit out vestibular migraines from someone's story? Who would want to take that away? And yet, Hade has us ask those questions about how we see our own lives, how we see the lives of our children, the people that we have opportunity uh, to influence, and to ask what it is and how it is that we uh, see uh, those purposes and plans that we all have. Well, today we're considering how God refines us in the fire, and God provides, I believe, wisdom that we all need to lean into and come to terms with as we're going to 
uh, make sense of these things. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to James chapter 1. Uh, there's a black church Bible in one of the racks in the seat under the, under the seat in front of you. It's on page 950, and I'm going to be reading from verses 1 to 18. James 1, chapter, uh, James chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creature, creatures. This is the word of God. Now, the first principle James gives us is arguably the most famous and probably the hardest. And so we'll just get into it. The message is consider trials blessings because they refine you. The message here is hard doesn't necessarily equal bad. That when we have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, he can bring changes in us through the hardships and difficulties of life that are actually designed for our good, for our blessing, and we can welcome them and invite them with anticipation, even rejoicing. So we consider trials blessings because they refine us. Now, as you look at verse 1, you see this is a, a letter that is written by uh, a man by the name of James. It is the brother of Jesus. Uh, one of those brothers, by the way, who doubted and denied Jesus throughout uh, his, his life until the resurrection, and, and James couldn't help but uh, recognize Jesus has, has risen from the dead, and this is uh, he has proven those claims that he made. Uh, he became one of the uh, foundational uh, leaders in the Jerusalem church, and he is writing now uh, what he says to the, he's saying now to the 12 tribes scattered, uh, he's speaking to Jewish Christians who have been uh, chased out of Jerusalem in uh, the great persecution of the church. 
Uh, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, with a church just a year or two old, uh, one, of the, one of the believers, a man by the name of Stephen, was stoned. He was the first martyr of the church. And with that came uh, a int- terrible persecution uh, on the Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, they were hunted down. They were imprisoned. They were killed. And they went out all over the Roman Empire. It was one of those experiences that you'd like to edit out of your life or the life of the early church, and yet God chose to allow it, and they were forced to deal with it. Into that kind of setting with, with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ being locked up, hunted down, chased out of their homes, some being killed, James has the nerve to say, count it all joy. Now, that's different than saying, feel it all joy. When we say, count it all joy, we are to consider this as joy, recognize that uh, there is a joy in this. It's a decision that we make by faith. We choose by faith to welcome something that we would rather avoid. We choose as as an, an act of our faith to welcome something, to receive it, when we'd be more apt to run from it and to deny it. Specifically, verse says that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's one of the good things that God brings out of the trials that we face. It's, he's accomplishing steadfastness. He's bringing endurance, bringing stamina in our lives through the difficulties uh, that come, come to us. And there is almost nothing else that will help accomplish this. You, you can't learn endurance in a Bible study. You can't develop grit in a easy life that is free of difficulty. Uh, I experienced a little bit of that this week. I was at uh, a pastor's conference in Huntsville. I got out for a jog at, uh, most days, and as I did, I'm... I'm a poor jogger to begin with. If I jog, I'm usually on a treadmill where it's nice and easy, nice and flat. You go to Huntsville, and all of the, all of the paths are, are up and down. There's hills everywhere, and I'm running, dying. My legs are dying because I, I avoid hills. I, I don't have to deal with those usually, and my legs show it. They, they, they are not... Uh, they don't have the stamina, the strength to handle the incline because I avoid the inclines. And the same thing happens in our spiritual lives. Without the tests and the challenges that come, we become uh, weak to those difficulties. We become uh, unable to handle them, to handle them with, uh, with, with strength and spiritual stamina. So in verse 4, James says, let steadfastness, that spiritual stamina, that grit of character that's developed in the hard times, let it have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Just a quick show of hands, um, wives, how many of you would like your husband to be perfect, complete? Anyone? Yeah, yeah. It's okay, Jennifer, you can put up your hand. (laughs) Completely fine, I understand that. I mean, you want to be perfect. You, you want to be complete, right? We all want to be the complete package. We want to grow. We say, make, 
Help me to be more patient. I want to be more patient with my kids. I want to be more patient with difficulties. Just make sure that nothing difficult happens. And James is saying that kind of character, that kind of completeness that we all long for, it is not formed in the lazy boy recliner of life. You cannot develop it there. It doesn't come in a sermon. It doesn't come in a life of ease. It doesn't come when we are bubble-wrapped, protected from the challenges that come. It is only enduring through them and uh, leaning on the strength that God gives in the midst of them. So let's develop an attitude of anticipation about the trials that come. A recognition that there's certain things that God can only accomplish, accomplish in our lives in the midst of those difficulties. And so, not that we like them, not that we are inviting them, but when they come, we accept them with a sense of anticipation. A sense of, what what is God going to do in my life through this as I trust him, as I look to him, and as I lean on him? We accept them as gifts because we believe God is good, God has good purposes for me, and he has decided that this is something that uh, I can uh, be, uh, that, that can be redeemed and I can be blessed through. So first we're saying consider, uh, consider trials blessings because they refine you. Uh, next, we pursue wisdom as your greatest need. This is countercultural. It is counterintuitive. When you and I are in the midst of a difficulty, the thing that we think that we most need is for it to go away. We all assume that. My greatest need is relief. My greatest need is comfort. God says, no, your greatest need is actually to see what I am doing in the midst of this, to see this trial, this difficulty, this storm through my eyes and what I'm seeking to accomplish in your life. And so we pursue wisdom as our greatest need. Now, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you've probably heard at some point somebody quote James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. While we quote that verse frequently, we don't think about it deeply. First thing we need to, need to note is that this, uh, this verse is given in the context of a discussion of uh, trials, suffering, and difficulty. And, and so it, it is primarily, but not exclusively, relating to uh, what we are to be asking for and how God responds to us in the midst of those difficulties. God loves to give wisdom, and it's a great promise. But here we're reminded it is when we are in the trials, in the storm, facing the difficulty, feeling our need, that is when God most wants us to be seeking him for wisdom. You, you can see that this is connected with what's come before it because of what's going on in verses 4 and 5. If you take a look there, verse 4 talked about lacking nothing. Then in verse 5, he says, if any of you, is, any of you lacks wisdom, same word, connecting the two thoughts is continuing a train of thought we're, we're, we're dealing, first of all, with the trials, what God is accomplishing through those trials, and then what we are to be asking for in the midst of those trials. What you need in the storm is wisdom. 
But wisdom here is different than just answers or suggestions. Sometimes what we're looking for when we talk about wisdom, we think, I just, I just want you to tell me the right way to go. And wisdom is a little bit different than that. And sometimes when we're asking for wisdom, we, we're, we're looking for a, a second opinion. And that's not, again, what wisdom is either. The, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's saying that wisdom is seeing all of life through an orientation that recognizes there's a good and holy and loving God who's in control of everything. And so I, when I'm seeking wisdom, I'm seeking his eyes, his perspective, his values, his orientation to see all that is happening. And, and yes, that might involve answers and that might involve direction, but it's bigger than that. It's this whole mindset with God in the center and with his purposes and values uh, guiding me through that. So I'm asking him, what, should I, what can I learn from this trial? I'm asking him, how can I grow through this trial? I'm asking him uh, to help me to see it through his eyes, to recognize his purposes. And he's saying, that's the kind of wisdom that he loves to give. And he gives it generously to those who seek him. Now, Warren Wearsby said, realism is idealism that has been through the fire and got purified. But cynicism is idealism that got through the fire and was burned. And so he's saying, same fire strikes both people. What is the difference between uh, getting purified and getting burned through the same trial? What's the, what's the difference between two people going through the same circumstance and one ends up a realist, the other ends up a cynic? Surely it is the wisdom that God is pleased to give in the, in the fire. Surely it is him changing our orientation, changing our perspective, helping us to grow, helping us to learn. And that involves calling on his name, but also looking to his word. It involves looking to others for, for, for counsel in, in the family of God. It, it involves seeking him for, for a, a, just a new way of seeing what he is seeking to accomplish in your life. And again, we do so with a recognition, God loves to answer these kinds of prayers. He is generous to give this kind of wisdom. Now, as you get to verse 6, many people will misunderstand this. It says, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Now, when it says no doubting, it's not like God is standing there with a clipboard uh, kind of scoring us, kind of running through the, the last five or six years of our life to see whether there's any, any struggles we had or any questions that just seemed a little bit off base. No, it's not asking for a, a perfection of our faith there. Um, later, he will refer to a double-minded person. And so here, it's talking about someone who is on the fence with their faith. It's someone who, you know when you go to a friend and you're asking their opinion, but you're really, it's really just a second opinion. 
you're, you're really just kind of checking in because you've, you've kind of made up your mind what you're going to do, but you think, well, I, 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 I should ask someone else about this and hopefully they're going to confirm, tell me what I was already going to do. That'll make me feel better about myself and I'll be able to go off. He's saying if that is your approach, if you've already kind of made up your mind and you're just checking in with the Almighty because you kind of feel guilty for not doing that, that kind of person will be without a rudder or an anchor in the storm. That's the kind of person that will be tossed by the winds and the storms that inevitably come. And so he's inviting us to, uh, to, to come to him with conviction, to come to him with uh, a sense of faith and trust that he is the one who uh, can be trusted. He is the one who is in charge. He is the one that I'm following. Not, not that my faith is perfect, but I've put my faith in someone who I believe to be perfect. Now, in verses 9 and 10, James gives us an example of how this work works. And at a number of time points, you may be tempted to think, oh, I think James is talking about a new topic here. And it's all related. It all comes together into this same, uh, this same message. So listen to, to, to uh, verses 9 and 10. It says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Now, the lowly brother here is someone, maybe they lost their job because of their faith. Maybe they got passed over for a promotion. They lost some clients. They, they found themselves, as many did in the first century, and, and more and more people are experiencing today, they're finding themselves pushed to the margins because of their devotion to Jesus Christ. And so, in the world's eyes, they've kind of been, they're lowly in the, in the sense of kick to the curb, down in the dumps. He says, that person, uh, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're financially hurting. They're, they're feeling the impact of this. The world says, that person should be depressed, maybe even ashamed. God says, that person should walk with confidence and swagger because of all that God has done in their lives. God is lifting that person up and, and identifying with them as a child of God. He has given them privilege and honor. He has purposed for them uh, an eternity of, uh, of, uh, of joy and exaltation in that sense. And he's saying, if you're the person who has been brought down in that way, you should walk recognizing all that God has done for you in Christ and do so with a sense of poise and honor and confidence. The opposite is also true, though. Uh, James says that the rich person should boast in his humiliation. Here, again, it is a, a, a showdown of the world's wisdom versus God's wisdom. The world says, riches are the goal of life, so when you've got them, you should be really proud or really afraid that you might lose them. God says, we're all going to lose everything, and so uh, we, uh, we should have our real confidence coming from the things that will be left over once it's all gone. If, if you have confidence that once everything is taken away from you, no matter how much you have, if once you lose it all, if you can still consider yourself rich, then that's what you place your confidence in. That's what you boast in. 
That's where your sense of security comes from. And again, these are just two examples of how God's wisdom in the midst of trials can give us strength and perspective, can shape and adjust our values to give us endurance and maturity and character and grit. What James says to the poor and the rich can apply to all of the circumstances of life, all of the ways where we feel lifted up or torn down. We need God's wisdom to see life through his eyes because what will happen is the world's values will take a storm that we're going through and turn it into a tornado. And what he's saying is, when we call out to God for his wisdom and we see life through his eyes, it can take that same, same storm and turn it into an opportunity for growth to see our lives through different eyes, to come out of it with a renewed hope and a renewed confidence and thankfulness for all that God has done. I want com comfort, but I need wisdom. I want relief. But God says, I need more fully to see life through his eyes. I need the wisdom that only he can give. So we said you consider trials blessings because they refine you. Then we said you pursue wisdom as your greatest need, but even wisdom isn't enough. It's not just enough to see life through his eyes. Uh, we need to cling to the goodness of God. When you're in the storm, you need to know that you're not alone. You need to know that you have someone on your side. The God who holds you does so in love and kindness, and so we cling to his goodness, even though, if we're honest, when those difficulties come, it is the very uh, goodness of God that we are most quick to, to doubt, to, to uh, deny in those times. So watch Watch how he, he breaks this out. Notice how he starts in verse 12. He says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. We think people are blessed when they avoid all of the trials. God's word says people are blessed when they endure the trials. We think blessing is being comfortable and avoiding all of the bad stuff, God says, no, it is as you go through those things, leaning into his, his provision, leaning into his strength, it is in that process that you experience a greater blessing. That's because of the good that God brings out of the difficulties. That's because how God can change us through the hard times. But it's also because of what he's prepared for those who endure him. Endure them. When we get to heaven, we are not going to be celebrating all of the, the ways that people lived comfortable and easy lives. We are, going to, we are going to be celebrating and marveling how God's glory was reflected in people who leaned on him and experienced his grace in the midst of incredible hardship and difficulty. It will cause us to praise God as we recognize how people were perfected through suffering, how people were able to demonstrate the reality of their faith and the joy that only Christ can give as they leaned, him, leaned on him in the storm. 
But the other thing that happens when we face trials, not only do we forget that, do we kind of lose that perspective of what he is, has prepared for those uh, who endure those trials, but we tend to start to, to doubt him. We start to think that it's God that we're battling and that he's kind of standing there with a clipboard uh, trying to grade us on how, how we're coping when life is difficult. So in verse 13, he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. And then he goes on to explain that it is our desires that we're battling, not him. God is at work to bless us in the trial. He is at work to remind us of his precious promises. He is trying to stir in our lives a sense of greater dependence upon him. He's seeking to deepen our faith. He's seeking to do all of these uh, good things to bless us in the midst of that. And yet our temptation and our uh, easy response is to blame God and to assume that he is not good, not at work, not uh, there seeking our good through it. So it's... Not only do we recognize this when we say, no, as you, as you look at the, the, the discussion that follows with regard to our desires, he's saying, when you are in a battle, when you're facing a storm, it's not God that you're battling with. It's actually the, the desires in your heart and the evil impulses that we often give way to. That's where the real battle is. A good God on our side, in the midst of the trial, seeking to bless us, and what we're really battling is what's, what's inside. The issues of the heart, the things, our, our worst tendencies, and uh, the, the things that uh, inevitably are brought out when the tension rises. So we, we're to remind ourselves, to say with conviction, God is on my side in this. The battle is not with him. The battle is with uh, the, the selfish tendencies that are being stirred up and, and drawn, drawn out through the, the difficulty in the storm. Now, if you're tempted to doubt that, James is going to try and persuade you in verse 17. There he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Again, you might be tempted to think, oh, he's changed topics. Now he's talking about uh, gifts. It's something totally different. No, same train of thought, same discussion. What, what he wants you to see here is that when life is hard, God hasn't stopped giving you good gifts. That God is still at work in the midst of this for your blessing. And we know that that just, it doesn't feel that way. We don't see that. Calling us to rejoice in a trial or difficulty, that just feels cruel. Uh, telling us that we're, we're blessed when things are falling apart, it just, it just doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like, like that could be true. And so he wants us to remember all of the good gifts that he's given us. He wants us to think back Look what God has done in your life. Look what he has accomplished in Christ. Remember all of those good gifts. 
And no, as he will then explain in this verse, he doesn't change. He's not going anywhere. He's not changing his mind. He's not turning into some other deity. The same God who gave you those good gifts is still at work. He doesn't change. And so we're, we're to, in the midst of that trial, we're looking back and I'm recognizing God gave me life. God gave me forgiveness. God made me, gave me promises of eternal life. He, he gave me acceptance. He gave me his own son. He sacrificed everything for me. He gave me all of these good gifts. That God didn't just stop being good. That God didn't just go somewhere and start doing, I think I'm going to start making that person's life miserable now. Enough of all the good gifts. Enough of doing the nice things. I want to hurt them now. That, that just is not God. And yet, if we're honest, we all feel like that when the difficulties come. We're tempted to think, yeah, where are you, God? What are you doing? And he's saying, God doesn't change. He doesn't change. He's still giving you good gifts, even though you're looking at it. You're like, it doesn't look like a good gift, Lord. I can't see that. And that's the point. We can only see that through faith. We have to lay hold of that as a decision of the will that we make by faith in conviction. David Bebel is a Christian author, and he uh, had uh, the, the challenge, uh, James would say the blessing, of having two sons uh, that were affected with a rare di- disease called IBSN. Uh, he talks about just how impossible it was to understand how this terrible condition could come to his two sons. He talks about how impossible it was to understand how you could see what God was doing when one of those sons died and the other almost fully recovered. He said, just, I can't make sense of it. It's impossible to understand. But he writes this. While for some, spirituality is defined by what you know, God may be concerned with how you handle, may be more concerned with how you handle what you cannot know. God is helping us to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. We'd love to have all the answers. I'd love to have all the answers. I could, uh, maybe my, my sermons would be way more interesting if I could give you all the answers. God hasn't given us all the answers. Faith is demonstrated in those times when we can't have all the answers, when we don't know what he he is doing, but by faith we trust that he knows what he's doing. God has proven his goodness again again in our lives. And so when we face those difficulties, we are to remind remind ourselves he hasn't changed. He hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't given up on me or decided, no more doing good. I'm going to be cruel. By faith, we accept that God is still at work giving us good gifts, and we lean into them. He asks us to rejoice even, believing that through this, he is seeking to bless me and to develop strength, character, grit, and stamina that I couldn't attain any other way. The problem is, none of this is easy. The problem is, none of this comes naturally to us, and everything in us fights against it. 
uh, with every natural instinct that we possess. So what, what is the step in your life? Uh, maybe f- for some of you, the step is to say, I'm going to choose to believe that what God is doing through this storm, this trial, is better than what I could get if he took it away. Maybe that's, maybe that's the decision of faith that you make this morning. Uh, maybe the step for you is to say, I'm going to stop avoiding things just because they're hard. I'm going to, I'm going to do away with that formula that I've some, somewhere along the line I believed difficult equals bad. Uh, hard equals I'm, go, I'm running the other way. I'm just, I'm going to do away with that because I believe there is actually blessing that comes not, not, not just recklessly. I'm going to, I'm going to walk out on the 401 and see if I can avoid car. No, like you're not recklessly inviting difficulty, but where God wills it, I, I choose to, I, I choose to welcome it. Difficult does not equal hard, uh, does not equal wrong. Hard does not equal me running the other, the other way. Maybe that's not a decision you just need to make for yourself. Maybe that's a, a decision you need to make as a parent. Maybe your approach to parenting is uh, hard equals wrong. And, and so you try to protect your child from any possibility of any hope of even a little tinge, twinge of difficulty, believing that's the path to blessing. And the scriptures say that's not the path to blessing. Again, God has called us to be wise. We're not inviting recklessness, certainly not recklessness with regard to our children. But we recognize we can't edit out all of the hard stuff. And even if we could, that would not be the path to developing character, grit, stamina, and a dependence on God. Finally, maybe your step is changing what you ask for. Maybe you consciously make the decision, I am going to choose to ask for wisdom. I am going to choose to seek wisdom in this difficulty, not just what we all ask for. And it's not like it's wrong. It doesn't say, don't ever ask me for easier circumstances doesn't say that, but I'm going to choose to lean into wisdom because I know that's what God loves to give me. I know that that's what I most need in the midst of this difficulty. I'm going to ask him to help me to grow through this, to see life through this, through his eyes, to come with his values, his perspective, because that's, that, that, that's lining myself up with whatever purposes he might have through this difficulty, through this trial. Let's look to him for the strength that we need to take all of those steps. Heavenly Father, you know how hard this is for all of us. You know what a challenge it is. So give us the strength to go forward. Give us the grace to trust you. Help us to receive all of your good gifts, even the hard ones. Give us wisdom. 
Help us to see life through your eyes and change us into the people you've created us to be. For we ask you in Jesus' name.